This is India Ari, and this is my podcast, Songversation, where I choose one of my songs and I riff on that song, simple as that. But it's never really simple because all of my songs have a life of their own. And in Songversation, I end up sharing my personal stories and life philosophies with the intention that you will hear yourself in my story. So without you, there is no Songversation. So thank you for being here and let's get into it. This is episode 13, Songversation, Follow the Sun. Okay, so since this podcast is independent by design, I have decided that this is season two, because why not? I started this last summer. I did 12 episodes in season one, and I took a break between January and April, just because it felt right. And now I'm starting back up. And so welcome to season two of Songversation, the podcast. Yay. And this is episode 13, Songversation, Follow the Sun. (laughs) Uh, To be honest with you, I don't even know what I'm about to say because I chose Follow the Sun randomly. I told myself I had been procrastinating and I was going to go ahead and choose a song and I would say whatever song came out of my mouth when I started recording and that one is what came out of my mouth. And I also don't know what I'm going to say because I'm not even sure what Follow the Sun is about, which is rare for me. I don't think I don't think I have another song that I've ever written at all that I don't know what it's about. So So, I said all of that to say that Din You hear in the back? In the past, it had been a washing machine. Uh, One time it was my dishwasher. I don't want to make it sound like I had, you know, random noise in the back of all my podcasts because I didn't. But one time there was a dishwasher. One time there was a washing machine. But this time it is the ocean. And I love that sound. I'm not going to let it play all the way through the podcast, but I am going to let it play right now because it just feels right. I mean, listen to that. Welcome to Songversation. Follow the Sun. I wrote Follow the Sun with my longtime collaborator, Shannon Sanders. We wrote it while I was actually on the Songs in the Key of Life tour with Stevie Wonder. So anybody who doesn't know, Stevie Wonder did, I think three or four rounds of a touring where he did the whole songs in the key of life album front to back original key for all the songs two drummers three keyboard players a choir a string section horn section he had everything four singers stage was packed out every night and he did the whole album and he invited me so i did um the first tour which was in the fall of 2015 Wait, is that even true? No. (laughs) The first tour was in the fall of 2014, and the second tour was in the spring of 2015. And so um, during the first round of touring, Shannon Sanders and I wrote a few songs because Stevie was urging me to approach my songwriting in a different way. I am a songwriter. I write what I feel. If anything gets in the way of me, being able to write what I feel, it needs to be out of the way. That is one of the things that has helped me to develop into an adult. And that empowerment of moving things out of the way came from the unwavering, staunch, at all cost 
protection of my creative process. So Stevie felt I should approach my songwriting a little bit different. And it's Stevie Wonder. So if he starts to talk to you about songwriting, you're going to listen. Even if your whole life, you've been moving things out of the way. So I'm going to go ahead and spoil this ending of this part of the story because he did not win out. I still do what I feel. (laughs) Worthy is a bunch of songs about what I feel. But the point is (laughs) that he was basically trying to, what's the word? Trick me. Trickster in a good sense. Trickster in a helpful, playful sense. He was trying to trick me into writing a song for myself from a new perspective. So he told me the song was for him and I started working on it and I worked on it really hard because if Stevie Wonder says, write a song, you write a song. And, um, then finally he said, so how do you like your song? Right. It was supposed to be my song. And to be honest, I didn't like it for me. I liked it for him. (laughs) I did not record it. Uh, but in that era, I did use the inspiration of being around him to develop several songs. And Stevie said, I want to help you put together an album. Um, He did give me one song, which I haven't recorded that one yet either, but I do want to. I do want to do the one that he gave me. Um, He gave me a chorus and I'm supposed to write the verses. It's a love song. Anyway, um, I used the inspiration of being around him on these tours to develop some songs. One of them was Follow the Sun. And so that's what brings us to today. So before I go any further with this story of Follow the Sun, which is rolling off my tongue, but which is surprising, but not really surprising because my music is my boo, which is why I'm doing these conversations and I'm happy to be back. So before we go any further, let's listen to the song. This is Follow the Sun from the album Worthy. Obstacles and the strange monsters that live. 
That was Follow the Sun from my eighth album, Worthy. This is exciting. It's my first time I get to say this like this. If you listen to season one of Songversation, the podcast, you heard me say this a lot, but this will be the first time I get to say it like this. That was from my eighth album, Worthy. I have eight albums, Acoustic Soul, Voyage to India, Testimony Volume 1, Life and Relationship, Testimony Volume 2, Love and Politics, Songversation, Songversation Medicine, India RE, and Joe Sample, Christmas with Friends, and now Worthy. And there's a lot to say about this, actually. I listened to the song as I put it into the show just now, and so many things came to mind. And the first thing that comes to mind is my friend Shannon Sanders. We've been working together since, I want to say 1999. Um, if you've seen me in performance or even online, like I understand a lot of people are watching the Jakarta performance where they filmed our whole show. Um, you'll see Shannon Sanders. He's on keys. He's our musical director. A musical director is the guy on stage who holds everything together. He's the leader of the band on stage. And so Shannon's our musical director, and he has a very active brain, very active. And he always has all these great ideas. And when he sang this one to me, I instantly loved it. He had the chorus, not the verses yet. And we went on to write the verses during a break on the Stevie Wonder songs in the Key of Life tour. So I was telling you in the intro that uh, I did two rounds of the songs in the Key of Life tour with Stevie Wonder, and we had a few days off, and uh, Shannon and I went into my home studio and worked on a few songs because Stevie said that he wanted to basically be um, just a sounding board for the new album I was going to make. It didn't end up happening like that, but it kind of did now that I think about it because... There was one song that Stevie asked me to write for him, and he was tricking me in a good way into writing a song for myself because he knew if he said it was for him that I would get it done, like pronto. Because of Stevie Wonder. You're going to hear me say that a lot on this on this episode of the podcast. Because of Stevie Wonder, there's so many things that you just do because it's him. I did not record this song, but when I say that he did have something to do with um, helping me to develop this project, I brought back three songs and actually now that I think about it he started the show a little bit late that day and I want to say a part of the reason why he was late for the show was because he was listening to my songs I'm not sure I can't even remember what CD we were in now it may have it feels like it was um Indiana feels like it was Indiana anyway I can't remember the other two songs right now I could if I tried but it's not important to this conversation it's not important to this songversation um, but the one of the three songs was Follow the Sun. And as I was playing it to him, I'm watching him real close because he's Stevie Wonder and I'm playing music for him. And at some point in the song, he kind of responded like, mm, to something I said. I don't remember the part, but in my memory, it was a part, did you fall from heaven or fall out of grace? 
Did you fall from heaven or fall out of grace? Somewhere there's a perfect place and space for you. Shooting star. <laughs> I didn't realize how tired my voice was. It's tired. Um, I'm on the West Coast at my hideout where I like to come for inspiration. But I live on Central Time, so it's 1 a.m. on the West Coast, 3 a.m. Central Time where I live. So... My body is somewhere in between them two time frames. So I just realized when I started trying to sing how tired my voice was. But back to the story. It's not too tired to do a conversation. So uh, back to the point. Um, I think it was when I sang that line that he responded. And I remember thinking he likes this. I guess I want to say fast forward a couple of years because this was in 2014. Shannon and I didn't end up putting... (laughs) which is a whole nother story. We didn't end up putting the actual final touch on this song until one day before Worthy had to be done. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell that story in this next segment. (laughs) Okay, so I would say that a song goes through five distinct steps Um, before it is heard by a consumer on a record. For me, it does. I live the experience first, step one. Step two, I write the song. Step three, I record the song, that is vocals and music. Step four, we mix it, which means putting all of the instruments and vocals and everything in their right relative volume to each other, that's mixing. And then mastering, and mastering is where you compress it and like, Make it a tight little package ready to be put on a CD so that none of the levels jump out and that it sounds good in your car and that it overlaps the song before it or how much space comes between the songs. Mastering is like the final step to what you hear on a CD or on on an actual recording that's released. Is it outdated to say CD? Anyway, Shannon and I wrote the song in 2014. We recorded it in 2018 and I was chasing Shannon down pretty much all of 2018 to get this song done. There's another song on the album worthy called roller coaster. I chased him down to get both of those songs done. I mean, chased him down because he's involved in a lot of other things right now. He was the Grammy chapter president in Nashville and, um, coming into his power. He's a man who's coming into his power. So he has a lot of other things on his plate. So I was chasing him down for these songs and um, my album had to be turned in December 14th. And on December 13th, I went into the studio and sang the outro ad-libs. I don't know how to explain to you what that is. Let me see how I can put this into words. The outro is the very tail end of the song where I'm singing the chorus over and over again. I think I sang it two or three times. And then the ad-libs are that high vocal on top of all that. Oh, all that stuff. Those are the ad-libs. And so I went into the studio just to sing that like eight seconds of vocal because I've been living with the song and I heard it a certain way and I wanted to record it the way I heard it. And the reason why I was doing it on December 14th is because... I was chasing Shannon down. (laughs) So we just got the record, which leads me to another part of this story. Let's get into it in this next segment. So one of my 
good, good friends and um, longtime supporters, Stephen Hill from BET, really helped me to get this song done. I met Stephen in 2001 when he first came to BET. And I think I really started to like Stephen as a person because we did this BET, um, like Miami, Miami spring bling thing. And I sang the song Brown Skin and they had girls come out in bikinis and it offended me. I'm not exactly sure why now. It just didn't feel right. Now I wouldn't care, but I'm a lot more, um, you know, a lot more established and I don't have to be so protective. And I'm also just more mature and things happen and it's whatever. You bring the energy to the stage. You don't try to make the stage, you know, yours all the time. It's not always yours. So anyway, there's something about the girls in bikinis and I felt weird. And so they let me do my performance over again, but I had to, <laughs> it's so weird that I remember this, but I had to wait. And then that meant I had to miss my transportation. And then that meant because since I missed the transportation that we had to rent a van and we had to take this long drive in this van to the next city instead of flying. And it was crazy and it was all weird. And not that there's anything wrong with riding in a van, but imagine doing a show all day and you're tired and you want to get to the next city and you're in a van where the seats don't recline. So we're in this van and the seats are all straight up and the van is bouncing and we're going through wherever, some winding road. I can't remember all of it, but in my mind now it's a winding road and it was bumpy and it was annoying. And so I did all that. And then when the show aired, they still aired the wrong performance of me like rolling my eyes and looking weird at the girls and you probably could find it online. <laughs> Maybe I'll add that to um, the Songversation Instagram page. Anyway, I get a package in the mail a little bit later. I don't remember. I have no way of remembering how much longer. It wasn't too long after it aired. And I got a package in the mail from Stephen Hill with a necklace because there was this man who was making all this crystal and sterling silver jewelry and the models were wearing it and stuff. People were looking at it and I'm a jewelry lover. Some of you may know I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. I studied as a metalsmith major in art history minor. I did not graduate from school because I left to pursue my music just before my third year, but I love jewelry and got too scad partially on a portfolio scholarship because I was making jewelry in high school and my father had my jewelry photographed and we sent it to the school and they gave me a partial scholarship. So the other part of my money for college was because my mother called the president of the school. She called the president and said, I want my daughter in that school. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care if I have to clean your office. I'll do whatever I have to do. And he said that he loved that she said that and they gave me the rest of the money to go to school. I mean, they didn't give it to me. They lent it to me. And that's how I ended up going to school. So this guy is selling the jewelry and I'm in there looking at everything really closely because it's my passion. And someone told Stephen that there was a particular necklace that I was admiring and it showed up in the mail with a nice letter as an apology for airing the wrong version of my performance. So... It was really cool. And so Stephen and I have been friends since then and just, you know, closer friends over the years. And so when he left BET, I asked him if he would help me with my career. And he's been so helpful. And anybody who knows Stephen knows he, too, just like Shannon, has a very active brain and he just can do a lot of different things. So I said, the only way we're going to get this album done in time is if somebody comes down to Nashville and does not leave the studio until they get this song from Shannon. And 
Stephen knew the demo. So he had fallen in love with certain pieces of the demo because, you know, as a musician and a songwriter, you don't know what the hooks are in a song. That comes from what people end up liking, you know. The listener decides what the hooky and special pieces of a song are. You don't ever know because if you did know, you just write a bunch of hits. None of us can do that. We, we try, but people like what they like. But Stephen, as like a fan of my music and a real a fan of music, period, and with a very smart man, he had certain parts of the demo that he thought should make sure to make the full record. And so he came down to Nashville where I was recording and where Shannon lives and did not leave the studio until he had my song. And uh, he made sure that the bass was a certain thing that was part of the demo. And Shannon listened to him on a lot of the stuff. We happened to be in rehearsals for a TV special that we still have yet to film because it got pushed back at that time. But the band was in town, too. So he had the bass player play on it and and it ended up being the record. And then one day before I had to turn back to the original point, one day before I had to turn the song in, I was singing the outro ad libs. So this song made it through a very narrow doorway to make this album but I'm I'm happy about it because Stevie liked it. And I'm wondering if maybe this whole season won't be all about the album worthy. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Anyway, so hmm, a lot more to tell. Let's get into it in this next segment. So I said in the intro to this song conversation that I wasn't really sure what this song was about. Which, if you were listening closely when I talked about the five steps of making a song, when I talked about um, this song, I did not talk about the first step of living it because that's not really how this song came about. Shannon bought me an idea that was a chorus with open verses, and I love the melody and I love the harmonies. And um, I don't know, we wrote a song. And this is the only song I can think of. There maybe was a song or two, or two, maybe, from the album Open Door, the album that I recorded with the Middle Eastern pianist that didn't come out, that I don't know will ever come out. But I know there were one or two things on that album that I just didn't know what they were about. But that was That's a whole other conversation. But this one, I didn't know what it was about. And I think that's actually a good practice for me, which... Maybe that's part of what Stevie was trying to teach me, come to think of it. I think it's a good practice for me to not to relinquish control in the creative process because I am very cerebral and that's why my songs are the way they are. They're very um, clear storytelling. They're not very abstract too often. And, you know, writing a song and tr- just allowing the next word to fall out of your mouth is different from being, um, how do I say that? It's different from being a careful architect of the words, you know, like just intuitively letting the words fall out. And then you look back and go, Oh, that's cool. I don't do it often. Now that I'm having this conversation, I'm thinking maybe I want to do it more. I'm smiling as I say this, because maybe I should do that more often. And then maybe I'll write more songs (laughs) anyway. So that first step of living it, Just one more time, just to revisit. I live it first, write it, record it, mix and master. And so 
instead of living this one first, it was really just something that Shannon and I decided to make. And it's not, it's only in hindsight now, it is only in hindsight now that I am ascribing meaning to this song. So I want to tell you about something that happened in this last six months that I haven't had a chance to talk about anywhere. So I moved out of Atlanta. I moved to another city and I bought a house in this city, which is a big, big deal for me because I would say that my house in Atlanta was my most important relationship. I'm not even trying to be funny. I don't like the fact that I would say that, but I'm not even trying to be funny. It really was. It was like uh, a friend that we had a close friendship that developed one day at a time over the course of 13 years. And even when I say 13 years now, it's crazy for me to think that I left that house. It's crazy. I moved out. I didn't know how I would ever be able to move out, but I did. Um, And so I moved out of Atlanta. This is a much bigger conversation because I also lived in two other cities while still having that home as my home base. So, but when I finally did fully let it go and not just be gone from it for a while, my life shifted, you know, same time, the same way that any big life event will set your life on a new course. So I let go of the house, finally sold it. I lived in New York for a while. As I talked about in Songversation, that magic, I was in a relationship for a while and We thought we were all going to move together to this new city, but that's not how things panned out. But I still had to move forward with my life. And so I bought this house. And when I got in it, I realized that really I bought a house that was space for us to be together in this house. And it wasn't the right house for just me. I actually texted Jill Scott about the house when I bought it because I wanted to invite her over because it was also my birthday at the same time that I was closing in the house, but she was out of town and couldn't make it. And then the next time I spoke with her, I said, hey, so the house is on the market. And she texted me back, you are amazing woman, because who sells a house that fast? But I had to be honest with myself. I couldn't do something as big as build a life inside of a house that wasn't the right house for me. And so I bought it. And six months later, I sold it. Crazy. I'm just... I'm tempted to <laughs> I'm tempted to give a moment of silence to that because it was a lot the whole process of it like deciding to let it go hurt the work to stage it was the best part cuz my mother jumped in and my friend Lala staged the house and somebody bought it we put it on the market and it was under contract in 18 days it was a beautiful house beautiful house anybody would have wanted it So I said all of that to say that when I think about the song, Follow the Sun, I think about what it means to hold on to yourself and to hold on to your truth and to hold on to your values through life's ups and downs. Rainbows come and they go, but I'm going to follow the sun. Yeah, I'm just thinking about the lyrics Shooting star, what is your hurry? 
just for me oh 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 i'm gonna follow the sun oh i'm gonna follow the rain bows come and they go so i'm gonna follow the sun oh i love singing that i love the melody i love singing that What it feels like to me now is the lesson, you know, that I'm learning just throughout my whole life's journey. And that is that sometimes the greatest power we have is to choose how we feel. I want to find that quote. There's a quote by Viktor Frankl, who um, just really quickly, you can always look him up, of course. And a lot of you listening, of course, are going to know who Viktor Frankl is. But I just want to talk about him for a second because he's one of my favorite thinkers. And so I want to say it is 1942 when he and his wife and his parents were deported to a concentration camp. He was a psychiatrist. He was a practicing psychiatrist. They were deported to the concentration camp. And in the camp, he was assigned to the psychiatric care of the other prisoners, which is wild to consider. And so he survived four different concentration camps and was released in 1945 and went on to live to be 92 years old. He passed away in 1997. So my favorite Victor Frankl quote, one of my many favorites, is this. Anything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. I don't know if that speaks to you the same way it does to me, but for me, as a person who often felt at the mercy of my emotions and at the mercy of circumstances, to hear a person who was a prisoner in a concentration camp say that basically you choose your attitude and that is your freedom. That's so powerful and it speaks to me so laser point accurate. I just learned something about myself. I'm drawing these um, connections about myself. So in the beginning of this uh, songversation, I talked about Stevie wanting me to take a new approach to my songwriting. And this song, Follow the Sun, being... The only song I can think of that I've ever written that I just didn't know what it was about as I was writing it. And so I also said that I have over the years fiercely protected my emotional connection to my music or the process of turning my emotions into music. Fiercely protected that channel between the two and anything that got in the way needed to be moved out of the way. And what I'm realizing though now is that that's about my attitude towards songwriting and towards life and towards myself. Like, that's how I've always done it, so that's how I keep doing it. But who says that's the best way to do it? And especially, it's Stevie Wonder. So if he says, hey, have more fun with this, which I really think is what his bottom line message to me always is, like, hey, have more fun. So if he's telling me, have more fun with your songwriting and be a little bit more free and be a little bit more free about the kind of songs you're doing and a little bit more playful, if he's saying that, 
then why would I fiercely protect my old way of doing it? Why not shift my attitude? <sighs> so, mm, mm, mm. I can shift my attitude towards my creative process. I can shift my attitude towards anything. And oh my goodness, I'm just having another epiphany. I have this tour starting April 30th and classically tour had always been very, very challenging. That's why I don't do it more often. Whole nother, whole nother song conversation. But I've been touring long enough that I should be able to put things in place and not have the same attitude as I did even five years ago because I know so much more about how to tour. So why not bring my wisdom to bear and have the attitude that it's a challenge instead of a struggle or that it's a um, challenging and rare life experience instead of a obligation. I mean, I feel like I vacillate between the two of all of that and land somewhere in the middle, but maybe after 20 years, I, I went on my first tour in 2001. So maybe after 18 years of being a touring artist, I can choose a new attitude. And when the hard days happen on the road, because they will, that I could choose a new attitude. I mean, and you do know I'm working on my next project, right? I don't know what it's called. It doesn't have a name or anything like that. It's, I just know that I'm already conceptualizing my next project. And so why not take the attitude of more playfulness and more freedom and less control in the songwriting process and see how the songs come out? I told you I was going to say this a lot on this episode. It's Stevie Wonder. Why not listen to what he says? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. This conversation, Follow the Sun, is blowing my mind. <laughs> so let me find this Viktor Frankl quote, and I'm going to bring it into this next segment. There's another Viktor Frankl quote that I love. It's so simple. And it says, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. <laughs> That's good because it's true. And it's simple, a simple truth. And something that I really often need to hear because Sometimes my attitude be bad, yo. <laughs> I'm just not even going to lie. Sometimes my attitude just be bad. And I really do have a beautiful opportunity in life to be who I am in my family lineage. Like Everybody sings in my family, especially on my mother's side. And I get to be a professional singer. And, you know, all the stuff that I'm challenged with come, that comes along with that, I really do need to exercise my power to have a better, different attitude about some of my life's challenges. Okay, this is a perfect time for a closing affirmation. Mm -hmm. 
I say this affirmation for myself and for everyone listening. I affirm that we can have what Viktor Frankl called the last of the human freedoms, and that is to choose our attitudes about life. And in doing so, we empower ourselves to live a life that just feels better and a life that's more productive and a life that is protected from being derailed by life's chaos. Because rain, bows, come and they go. But I'm going to follow the sun. <laughs> May we all find our North Star and whatever that is, follow it. Because really, in the end, that's what life is all about. Your real job in life is to be you. And lastly, I just want to thank you for being here and welcome to season two of Songversation, the podcast. I hope you are following me on Songversation podcast, Instagram page, and leave me some messages. I know I haven't really been answering lately, but I was busy getting this album out, but I'm back and I'm going to have a series of podcasts that are going to be um, posted during the tour. Look online to see where you can come see me that is closest to you. And also, Worthy t-shirts are up online. You can see the link at soulbird.com. The link is also currently in my bio on my Instagram page. So everyone who's been asking where they could get Worthy t-shirts from, there they go. I wear one every day, <laughs> but I've been doing that for several years now. Literally like four times a week, at least. Also, this episode is for my friend Tahir Register. He has his own online magazine called The Black Media. You can follow him at The Black Media on Instagram. And the reason why I want to give this episode to him is because back in 2015, Shannon and I posted a video of us singing this song in a music store in Nashville. And Tahir never let me forget it. He kept asking me about it. And Tahir, you're one of the reasons why this song is on here. And also thank you because you, Tahir, followed the essays and wrote me an email and I thought that was so special also the essays are coming back we're putting it all back online really soon so I'll let you know more about that love to all soul birds worldwide and until next time may you clearly hear the song in your heart I like that